Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome. Uh, my name is the Renegade Statman, and I'm very pleased today to be joined by my guest, Kieran Dyer. Uh, Kieran, a star of reality TV shows, uh, former Ipswich Town player, and now former under-23 manager. Welcome, Kieran. How are you doing? You all right? I'm very well, thank you. It, it's been a long time. been working on you for about a year to, to get an interview with you, and we were going to go into a deep dive into your career, similar to what I did with, with Jim Jilton. Um, and we kind of had this planned, and I just saw the opportunity to say, actually, do you want to talk about something else? So, yeah, thank you very much for, for you coming along. Uh, a huge shock for, for everybody today with the, the statement from the club that you, you're leaving. I've got the statement here. It's 106 words, and they can confirm that Kieran Dyer has resigned from his position as under-23 manager with immediate effect. Kieran had been in charge of the Young Blues since October 2020 and leaves the under-23s following a successful season to date. Town CEO Mark Ashton said, it has come as a surprise to us that Kieran wishes to stand down from his role as under-23 manager. Kieran's played his part in the development of some of young, our young players, and we thank him for his efforts. And I speak on behalf of everyone at the club in wishing Kieran all the very best with his future. Now, I've just had a look since the club's tweeted that, and there are a number of rumours going on, um, different things, and we'll cover them at some point. But let's first of all discuss your health. Is this, this is not related to your health? No, it's not related to my health at all. Um, I'm glad we are doing this today because, um, like you said, this has probably caused more speculation than anything. Um, so once I give you the reasons why I left the football club, um, hopefully the fans um, can put everything to rest and focus on trying to help this club get into the playoffs. Uh, that's the most important thing. Club is bigger than me. Um, club is bigger than this podcast. But I feel that um, from the rumour point of view, we have to squash the rumours. So this has come at a perfect opportunity that we're speaking. With regards to the health, the club are aware of my health. I am now officially um, on the list, the donor list. So I am waiting for a... A liver, uh, for someone to have a bit of um, obviously lose their life it sounds really graphic um, and then a liver comes available um, and then I will have a liver transplant um, so someone's misfortune um, gives me fortune to um, to live my life longer at the moment um, my health is in a very good um, situation um, I feel good not not as bad as when I was in hospital for testing when the news started coming out there was jaundice in my eyes this is the first time I've been on tv since that time I did the sky game um so yeah it's just a, a long waiting game uh things like I can only be an hour and a half away from Adam Brooks at any one time um 
because I might just get the phone call that we have a level for you. You have to come in. It's a big, it is a big process. Um, 10 hours operation. I know all the pros and cons. And um, like I said, I'm, I'm doing really well from a health point of view. The health wasn't um, the reason why I left my 23 position. Um, so where, where, are you, where are you on the, on the list for a, for a liver transplant? Uh, so um, I went on to the actual list on January the 4th. Um, so we had a two week shutdown period um, as an academy. I got to go to uh, Disney World with the kids. Thought this could be one of the last chances I get to go on holiday for a while because obviously it could be a long process of healing. Um, so I went onto the the list on January the fourth, and they said that I could be looking at a donor uh, getting a liver transplant between three to six months. We're now coming up to four months. Um, and it's still no sign of it. Um, I still go for weekly checkups with bloods and stuff like that. And everything is showing real good signs that my liver isn't deteriorating at a, a massive rate. Um, I've got to keep fit and strong and healthy. I've been doing work in the gym. So when I do actually have the operation, my body is in a, a, good, uh, a good situation to handle it. Um, so, yeah. Um, I'm in a real good headspace. I'm in a real positive headspace. When I first, when the first news broke that I was in hospital for testing, it was just, I can remember I was doing the Sky game. Uh, we did the Sky game. I did Newcastle versus Tottenham. The takeover just happened at Newcastle. Um, and a few of the producers on Sky was, they obviously noticed the yellow in my eyes and was like, are you okay? And I said, oh, I feel okay. Um, and it was only when I got off the TV, my uh, my wife, Holly, her sister, um, she works in the hospital and she was like, tell Kieran to get to the A&E as soon as he gets back. So obviously I started panicking. I went into test, they did an MRI, they took some bloods. And I'll never forget it, it was in the A&E, they put me on a ward and they wake people up really early on the ward. Really early, so I'm saying... It was probably about six o'clock in the morning. So I didn't know nothing what was going on at the time. And um, one of the, I don't know, it was, she was a junior. She wasn't like the main surgeon. It was like a junior surgeon. She came in, she woke me up. She drew the curtain behind her. And she said, I'll never forget this. She said, uh, we've, I've looked at your bloods and I've looked at your um, liver. Um, we're waiting for a bed to come available for you at Adam Brooks but you're going to need a liver transplant. And she went, I'll just let you digest this. Uh, if there's any questions, I'll be back in an hour and just left. So I've right. gone into hospital, not even having really any tests. I just went into hospital. I knew I had some jaundice in my eyes. I've had a liver condition for um, quite a while, even through my playing career. And then for someone to just shatter my whole world um, like that, I was like, the word transplant scared the shit out of me. I'm not going to lie. I'm thinking it's the end of my life. So then I had to ring my wife, my mum, not knowing the answers still. I'm just like, they've told me I've got to have a liver transplant. And my missus is like, well, did you ask this? Did you ask this? And obviously she's, they're all panicking. And it was, I was at such a stage where 
usually they can tell from my body language or my demeanor if I'm really strong and confident and they could tell that I was probably at my weakest because I was unsure. Um, so it set off a chain of reaction through my family. They're worried. I'm trying to be brave. I was trying to keep all the tears in in front of a complete stranger junior doctor, uh, junior surgeon when she's giving me the news. So I was in Ipswich hospital for a, a couple of days before a bed became available at Addenbrooke's because COVID was still very ripe at the time and people were in and out of hospital, like left, right and centre. Um, and then I, when I went to Addenbrooke's, I was like, it was literally like I was a guinea pig. The amount of tests they did was, is your heart strong enough for, for surgery? I had to do lung checks. I had to do grip tests. I had to do strength tests. I had to see a dietitian. I had to see a, uh, a psychiatrist. I had to see all these people. It was unbelievable the amount of tests they did but what was so great about that is as soon as I saw the surgeon he just gave me all the confidence in the world he came in he said how hi how are you doing he said it's very unusual that we would be doing a liver transplant on someone so young I've seen all the checks you are probably the fittest person I have ever operated on this is like riding a bike for me you will make a full recovery and just the tone of his words. So then it was crazy that even when I and my mum came to the hospital to visit me, they got strength from how confident I was. I was already asking questions to, I was like, so uh, what's been the record for people leaving the hospital after the operation? And they said, the quickest someone's ever lost or left the hospital after an operation is 10 days. I said, well, I'll be out in nine days. I'm already putting goals in my head. Yeah. Like they tell you about the aftercare, the hospital, they do like a, a transplant Olympics. And I'm like, I'm going to be like Michael Phelps. I'm going to break. I don't care if I'm bracing against eight-year-old nans or 10-year-old kids, I'm going to win golds. Like little things to just give me the motivation. I need little, little things like that. And that was all from the, um, it was all from the surgeon. So um it is good news with regards that I'm feeling fine in myself, that I am fit and able to use the gym and work, but I am going to need a transplant. It is a massive operation. Um, it's 10 hours is a hell of a long time for an operation. Um, but yeah, I'm prepared for it. Um, so the rumors about I've left my job through with the health situation. Um, I was going to, take a sabbatical we thought I was going to take a sabbatical at some stage because I was going to need the time to um to recuperate and to recover but um that wasn't the reason with my decision to leave the football club I, I think you know that that's really positive news to to hear and we wish you all uh, the very very best of luck with your um you know receiving a, a donor and and having that transplant one of the things I want to ask you about was um who dares wins the SAS uh, series that you did? You, you had a, a like a, a medical episode on there, and I, I must admit, Kieran, I, I don't want to laugh, but when when I sat at home watching it, it was kind of a little bit funny, even though you were clearly going through pain because of the um, the, the casualty care that you received from your your fellow contestant uh, wasn't great. So is that was that anything linked to, at all with your your liver? No, no, uh, no, not whatsoever. That was. Um early in the episode of that program 
Um, I fractured my rib on day two. I took a real, when we did the mud wrestling, I took a real big impact into my rib. Obviously the adrenaline is flowing. You don't realize you've got pain. My rib was getting worse and worse. And it was when I had that episode on top of the tower, that was, I basically had a, a, a collapsed lung, like a punctured lung. Um, and that was why I was struggling to breathe. Um, but again, um, everyone was laughing at the reaction of the, the guy on the tower with me. He, he freaked out, didn't he? It looked like I was curling and a ball dying and he all he kept going was like, are you all right? Are you all right? So, uh, um, yeah. There, there was an element of, of, of panic in, he, in his eyes, but yeah, I'm, you know, glad, but it, it did kind of make me smile a little bit. Who was it again? I can't remember who it was. It was the Paralympian, um, Alan oh, Davis. Yeah. Davis. He, he went on to actually complete the course. So he's got one up on me. Huh? I fouled on top of the tower. <laughs> well, you were you were number twelve as well, weren't you? I always thought that was like a substitute number when I, when I, when they were given. Um, I thought you might have been given number seven or or number four. Typing for number seven, I did ask for seven or eight, and they gave me bloody number twelve. So yeah, but if you notice, number twelve meant I was the furthest away from the fire. So when I went through the interview process, and I was probably saying the cold scared the shit out of me. I'm not good with cold. It's no coincidence that I'm number 12, who's the furthest away from the fire and stuff like that. They do many things to trick your mind and stuff. Good stuff. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you, you, you quashed those rumours because they already were on, on social media. And there's quite a few others that we can we can go through. Um, I think it's really important to kind of uh, tell a story about where, where you've come through in, the, in, in this under 23 manager's job um, to, to where you are today with, with resigning. It was back in October 2020 when you returned to, to the club. I think, you know, before that you were assisting with the with the under 18s with with Adam, Adam there. And you went off to to have some professional development and you uh, came back and, you know, to take that role when you were supported by by Terry Butcher. And then from October 2020, at the end of February 21, Paul Lambert was sacked. Uh, Paul Cook then came in at the beginning of March. Marcus Evans sold, thank goodness, and and then Game Changer came in and and, and bought that. So what, I wondered how you know what did you learn and what did you gain from that experience of you know all of that you know real massive change for the whole club. Yeah, so another one of the big rumours. My mates were on Twitter and that, and what gets thrown at me quite a lot is oh he jumped ship in. When he left the 18s, he's jumping ship again. And this is someone who cares for the club. And I'm just thinking, you can't catch a break. The, the reason why I left when I did with, when I was assistant with Arden was I wanted to bet, better myself. I thought I was a bang average coach. Sorry, there's the, my mum's dog barking away. Um, it's just, just like a, bang, a team's meeting. <laughs> yeah. I was a bang average coach um, at the time. I wanted to learn. I wanted to go to football clubs, speak to managers, watch them train, study. I was fortunate enough to uh, be invited into some Premier League clubs. Uh, I won't name the Premier League clubs and, and, and stuff, but I got to see how managers worked in the time being. Because I'm not afraid to try a, a National League team or a League Two team. I don't think just because I had a half a decent career that I have a divine right to my first job be Ipswich Town Manager or a League One Manager or a Championship Manager. 
I'm ready to do the hard graft. I think I proved that by leaving the under 18s where I had a bit of a, a comfort blanket. Um, I wanted to better myself. Um, I was fortunate enough that Craig Bellamy at the time, one of my good friends, you probably hate him. He's an orange guy. Yeah. But um, he invited me to come to uh, shadow him, see how someone who's heavily influenced by Pep. I improved a hell of a lot of as, as a coach. Um, but like you said, I down for jobs. I have put my CV in for jobs. Um, I think I got one acknowledgement back basically saying thanks, but no thanks. And with all the other times I put it in, didn't hear anything back. Um, so when I was out in Belgium, obviously Lee, and Brian um, were interested in getting me back in. Um, they thought that Nashi at the time had probably reached uh, a certain, he'd been at under 23s for a long time. He needed to be pushed on, hopefully, to a first team environment. So they took me back into coming to the club. Um, and I was really happy because when I left the club and the, the person that they were receiving, now coming back to the club was, it was like chalk and cheese. I was on a whole different planet. I will blow smoke up my backside. I was where I was a bang average coach. I was now a decent coach. <laughs> well, uh, I think the results in the under 23 certainly, certainly show that and, and, and prove that. Um, mm. Relationship with Paul Lambert? Yeah. Um, I didn't really have a relationship with Paul Lambert. Um, I know a lot of Ipswich fans, again, I'm an Ipswich fan, all my friends are Ipswich fans. Um, they didn't really like the guy. Um, but one thing I will say about Paul Lambert is that he was a good coach when I see him work on the training pitch. We all joke, I've even joked about it since he's left, about German football and uh, Borussia Dortmund and that. But it's been proven with the trend of the Premier League, with the managers, the coaches. Um, you just look at Klopp and Tuchel and all these players. Um, he was onto something with the German way of coaching. Um, so I do so, give him his due with that. But as a man, as a relationship, I didn't feel like I was... Um, he never stopped me from going, watching first team training, but where a Paul Cook or a Kieran McKenna will say, come and watch us train or come and do this and come and learn. Um, I always thought that he was very distant from staff, especially us academy staff. Um, since he's left, I heard little methods that he didn't want to be, because he was the manager of the club, like even eating with players and stuff he'd like to keep in his office because if you hear if you've got a relationship with the manager every minute of the day players become bored of your voice so when he spoke to the players it was you listen and I think he took that approach with the staff but um I'd you... only really I'd only really had Daigie and Hursty when I was at the club previous and like I said, I was probably one of the few people who liked them. 
I'm not saying they did a great job with our first team. No, I'm not. But the way they treated the academy, came and took academy sessions, always come and watch the matches. I loved that. And then Paul Lambert was the complete opposite. Um, yeah. Was there, was there any sort of connection at, at that time from, from the academy to, to the first team? If you, if you look now at the way that the, the academy play and where the first team play, you can, you can kind of see that golden thread throughout the club, which is this is the kind of way that we were playing. But are you saying that there, there wasn't much of that then when, when Lambert was in charge? When he first came in, there wasn't. But then I feel, I feel that in his last season, he must have felt that he was under pressure. So he was going to do everything he's, his way. So he did a presentation to all the coaches of we are playing 4-3-3, gave the patterns of the first team. And the 23s in particular had to play that way. I can remember my first game um, I played when I came back. We did Sheffield United away at Bramall Lane. Um, they they beat us 3-1. But I can remember either our fullbacks to do sometimes uh, play inverted and they'd go in and try and make an overload in centre midfield. I can remember Stuart Taylor saying, well, what were you doing with the fullbacks? I said, well, we hopped onto the way we were playing, sent Sheffield United with other problems, and he was like, no, 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 no. This is the way we play, and we stick to it. And I thought, okay, fair fair play. You're the, you're the boss, you're the managers, and um, if you want our players' team, we have to play. I was totally on board with it, but um, so you could, tell, so you could tell in that last season he was a man under pressure, and... He was fighting, obviously, a band, Phil Ham. You could sense that he just, he didn't like the pressure and he obviously, he was bumping heads with the owner. It was obvious to see and um, he was going, he was going down for, for the highway. Did, did you apply for the job when, when he was sacked? No. Um, uh, um I did have a conversation with Leo Neal and I said, is it worth um, putting in my name for the hat? And Lee was very honest and he said, he spoke to Marcus um, and Marcus says that you need um, experience to be considered for the job. Uh, that's just the way it is. And uh, I was saying, well, that's a vicious circle because little do you know that when I was on my sabbatical, I'd apply for jobs. And if you're not even getting a reply, how do you get that experience? Um, and it did make me laugh as well, because I know that <laughs> when Paul Hurst was uh, appointed as manager, I know that um, Scott Parker got interviewed for the job because Scott Parker asked me to help with the presentation and was asking about certain players. Uh, it's been well documented that Frank Lampard interviewed for the job and uh, they didn't have much managerial experience. So it did make me laugh, but I respect the decision. Um, if I was an owner of a club, um, do you go for inexperience or experience? Um, it's one of them. It's one of them dilemmas. So Paul Cook comes in and if, if you look at Twitter already, um, some people said that you really, really liked Cook and it's because that he's gone that you're 
that you're finally leaving and other people said actually you didn't like Cook at all so just quite quite interesting what what did you feel about you know Paul Cook when he came in and I suppose the key question that I've got as you know from a fan is when Paul Cook took over the the club at the end of 2020-21 we we were pretty close to the playoffs and that season just kind of fizzled out and I'd just be interested in you know how you found Paul and, and what you think happened towards the end of last season. Yeah, we, in a way, he's, do I like Paul Cook? Yes, I like Paul Cook. I really loved his energy. He warmed to me straight away. I remember when he got appointed manager, he wanted to have a meeting with me and Nashi. Um, he wanted five minutes of our times just to pick our brains. I remember our meeting lasted about an hour and 10 minutes. We just kind of gravitated towards each other. Um, he came in. Um, he looked at the squad, he'd seen Paul Hurst lost his job with this group of players, basically the majority group of players. He saw that um, uh, Paul Hurst, Paul Lambert lost their job um, and he took it upon himself that these players weren't going to bring him down. Um, again, like I said, I love Paul Cook. Did the way he go about things when he was the demolition man um, is it wrong? Um, it's been proven right. I think only Andre and are, are playing at a higher level. He didn't want to lose Flynn and he didn't want to lose Andre. Everybody else are playing lower which in League Nine. So he has been proven right. But I always have this mentality. I've seen how Bobby Robson was. Um, and having relationship with players and there's a way of delivering the message. And um, would I have done it different? Yeah, of course I would have done it different. Um, it seemed to me that he kind of gave up on the players and just said, I'll tell you what, I'm just going to slack off this season and we'll start next season. For me, it was really frustrating because we were still very close to the playoffs. Yeah. Um, I will say he didn't slacken off. Times. Um, hello, you there? Yeah, I'm. I'm back again. Don't know what happened there. Hello, can you see me? Yep. Yeah, he's. Uh, he tried the free at the back. He tried showing them, showing them. Um, like you said, the demolition man. I can still remember the game. I think it was Wimbledon at home. I was kind of going along with the first team for experience, and um, literally he came in address the players and usually he'll go into the office, calm down, get his thoughts. He literally went from the change room straight outside to do the radio. And I was like, Whoa. and then I can remember getting a text from Nashi going, you have got to hear what he's just said. And um, again, I think he wanted a, a response um, from the players. Um, you got to remember players are, some players are really delicate nowadays. It's just the way, the way the world's going. Um, so, yeah, um, there was there was so much I admired about the guy and there was, um, like I said, I would have just handled that bit differently. In his defence, I will say that he is, he's been the hardest working manager I've ever seen. And, like, when you try to take bits and pieces, obviously everyone talks about his inexperienced staff. So, like, 
he was the manager of the first team. He was the coach of the first team. He was managing his staff because that was their first job. And listen, this is not a knock on Franny, Craney or Gary Roberts because they were terrific human beings as well, hardworking. But as a manager, he was managing them. Then he'd watch the under-18s in the afternoon. Then he'd watch the under-23s in the afternoon. Uh, then he'd watch the under-18s play. Then he'd watch the under-23s play games. Then he'd watch the under-16s train in the evening. And I'm like, whew, that is a lot of things. To like, that's just in his nature. He wants to work. He wants to... Um, but it just... One of the big things I've learned from that is empowering your staff and empowering your coaches because as a manager you can't do everything you cannot do everything um your full focus your sole focus has got to be on the first team and i'm not saying he wasn't focused just on the first team but like i said when you're managing everybody it just becomes an overload a mental overload and was i sorry to see him leave yes but again we all know the nature of this game. Um, if results, if results ain't coming, then um, you could lose your you could lose your job. Um, so yes. So, so again, sorry to a. Uh, I haven't fell out with Paul Cook. I really like Paul Cook as a as a man, as a human being. I learned a lot from him. Like I said, the negatives and the positives from him. Um, and no, I didn't leave the football club because Paul Cook got sacked. This no. It's another. Uh, whilst all of this was happening, we uh, Marcus Evans sold and, and Game Changer came in. Uh, th- I suppose the first question I've got for you is, was Paul Cook Game Changer's choice as manager, do you know? It is a tough one because if Marcus was selling the club, surely they would have had an input into who was he who was appointed as 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 his manager and it's been i think it's been well documented i'm not sure if it's true but i think paul cook had been interviewed by um mark ashton before for maybe a bristol city job when it came available so i'd be amazed that marcus evans appointed paul cook without having conversations with uh, game changer and uh, Mark Ashton, but again, that's I, I I haven't got the answer for you on that. Um, but the way the season panned um, out, it does question was was he actually their man? Because um, one thing they um, everyone was saying was he'd get some time, and obviously it was a new squad, a turnover of players. Half of them didn't come into the club until. They only had like six players in pre-season. They didn't really get a pre-season together. So um, that's one of the questions I haven't got the answer to. But um, I'd have been amazed if Marcus wouldn't have had um, some dialogue with him. You um you make reference to that bad start of the season with, with 20 players coming in at the start of this season. But I kind of want to just take you back just a bit before that and more related to your role. So in, in July last year, news came out uh, that Terry Butcher was leaving uh, the, the club as a coach for the under-23s. Now, the thing that sort of surprised me as a fan is that we look at July, Terry Butcher, Ipswich Town legend, cut him, he bleeds blue and white. 
um, he left. And then on the 2nd of December, less than five months later, John McGreal comes in. It's just news that he's coming in to, to support you. And I couldn't quite tie those two things up. And I just wondered, you know, what, what happened from Terry going to, to, to John McGreal coming in? Yeah. Um, Terry, like you said, um, who would have thought Kieran Dyer and Terry Butcher would have got on a, like a house on fire and call ourselves the dream team. I think I did a podcast um, just when the takeover was happening and I was talking about Terry and how he would drive standards and you should see he's got a bag of balls over here, cones, just showing the play. He wouldn't let players take responsibility unloading the bus. He was like, we're in it all together. And for the defenders, for Alcan Baggett and Albie and all the, the young centre-halves, his knowledge of actual the fine arts of defending, I can't give him that kind of IDP work. It was in and, um, when I when obviously I got told Terry was left, uh, was leaving. I was I was gutted because not just because he was uh, someone I work with. He's now a friend for life. I've invited Terry to three games this season. He always comes. He br brings my bag of sweets to put in my in my um, in my coat so I can eat some sweets on the touchline as I'm watching the game. And you can see that he he misses that interaction with players. It was like, he loved it. Um, again, I don't know what was said, why he left. Um, all I can go on is my opinion that he was a special man to work with. And um, not just I was gutted, but um, the players were gutted. Um, but again, in football, you know that staff come and go. Um, it gets to the stage now where where staff used to go as a player, you kind of felt a, re a responsibility. I, well, I did personally. I, I'm sure you've probably read in my book and stuff. And if Sooners got sacked, and or if Bobby got sacked, I played a key part in that, and I took responsibility for it. And but today, the players they can just go. On to the next, on to the next. But it's not that the players don't care. It's just the players are so used to managers going every three months and a new one comes in. Um, but yeah, Terry, what a guy. Um, yeah, it was surprising at the time. But um, so when when John came in, what 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 had changed? And, and I guess the question I've got is, so, uh, who was John's so, appointment? So um, when John came in, um, me and Adam hadn't got an assistant. So Ads was doing the 18s and uh, I wasn't, I didn't have an assistant for the 23s. So one of the um, requirements you have to meet is that you have to have two players doing the 23s and two players, the 18s. So there was always going to be um, someone coming in um, we thought it would probably come internally. Uh, me and Ads just thought there'll be someone who might be a George Williams or it might be a Sam Darlow who's doing terrific work with the sick things. Um, it'll be one of them. It could be one of the part-time coaches, Lee Norfolk, where it's a club. It could be anyone, but we thought it was internally. So when 
John McCrill came in on the Thursday, I think he signed for. Um, it was a shock. Um, it was more a shock. I'd say it was a shock because I'm thinking this is a man, man who is manager of Colchester's first team. In that summer, he was obviously appointed manager of Swindon for the season over some politics. Now he's coming to be my assistant. I was apprehensive. I was not going to lie and say, oh, is he going to try and take over? Um, and then literally he'd come in two days and Paul Cook gets the sack. <laughs> and then, um, yeah, then the, the caretaker manager comes, which that I was disappointed, upset and hurt. Um, for me, it was a it was a it was a huge shock. You know, you've you've been there in the under under twenty threes, and I, I get that you know reasons and decisions might have happened why we brought John McGreal in. But I think the, the biggest shock for me was when it was announced. You know, obviously, it wasn't a shock that Paul Cool Paul Cook went. I think you know the writing was on the wall probably then. But it was a big shock when you weren't uh, appointed as the the caretaker manager. I think you were you were assisting. John in the role of, you know, as John was a caretaker manager and who, whose decision was that? And did you, you know, what discussions did you have about, about that? So, um, one thing you could say, that's only since I've been on my pro license. So I've started my pro license. I started, I'm a module three at the moment. It's a fantastic course. It's talking about obviously your, your, your A license is about, coaching on the pitch but your pro license is how you deal with boardrooms decision making culture of football clubs and stuff and that is really improving me but before I went on that course um, I was one of these coaches where I was a heart on the sleeve kind of guy uh, I was an emotional um, you I'm on a zoom no thank you <laughs> Uh, so yeah, I was an emotional, um, I was an emotional coach and that had many pros, but it, it could have, it, it had many weaknesses as well. Um, when, cause when you're emotional, sometimes you need to take a back seat, breathe, sleep on decisions. But I was one of these people who were, I thought very honest and I'll tell people if I'm disappointed or if I feel they're not hitting standards that we should be hitting. Um, so when, obviously, the news after the Barrow game at home and Paul Cook left, um, and then it came out that John McGrill was um, caretaker manager, it hurt. That was the real emotion. I was really angry. I was really disappointed. Um, yeah, um, I thought that this was pre-planned because obviously it was, I mean, if that John McGrill comes in on the Thursday, um, Paul Cook gets sucked on the Saturday and then John McGrill is um, a taker manager. And I'm thinking, how does someone who is my assistant then jumps me? Um, so uh, 
I can Did you speak to Mark? Mark Ashton I about that? Gary Probert first. Gary Probert was brilliant. He just said, um, this is the situation. Uh, we would like you to assist um, John and, and Rene. Reg, um, and I was like, no chance. Um, I'm disappointed. I feel um, there's no pathway. Bloody uh, blah, blah, you could imagine. Um, he was very good with me. He said, look, I can tell from your tone, you're very emotional. He was just like, sleep on it. Um, and then that was the next day I got summoned to, to, to Mark Ashton's house. Sat with Mark, um, and Mark, I asked the question, why? Um, and he gave the answer, which is fair play again. This is, I'm not knocking Mark's decision. He said, we just went on that. John's got league manager's experience. Um, and that's, that's all. He, he's used to first team environments. This is going to be about three or four games. Um, uh, you're reading too much into it. You're letting your emotions thing. Um, and then he said, look, you care about the club. I can obviously see it. I'm asking you, not just as an employer of a football club, but you're a fan of the football club and the football club needs you now. Uh, we need to get through these next three or four games until... Um, until we appoint a new manager. Um, so, you, yeah. Um, so, so I was, I was, were you kept up to date with the, the, the manager search? Was, was Kieran no, McKenna all? No. no, it was just, uh, again, we were like everybody else. You, you see Neil Harris is linked. You see all these names are linked. And um, uh, then we got told uh, probably the day before that it looks like it's going to be uh, this manager, um, but you're still going to take the Sunderland game. Um, yeah. And then um, the new manager will take place. So, yeah. So again, I'm not knocking the club's decision because obviously they gave me their explanation, but at the time you can imagine I was really hurt by the decision. Um, and again, <laughs> That is not my reasoning for why I've left. <laughs> we'll get to that. Sorry, but we'll to, again, yeah. given all these pointers, and I just don't want people to think, oh, he, because he got rejected as the the care. Well, um, I was hurt because um, I would I would love to imagine town club for four games. Um, I, I think it was I think it was important that you got the Sunderland game. Uh, you know, thinking about yourself as John, as, as former players, and um, to actually, you know, be in the dugout at, at Portman Road for a, for a home game. Was there anything anything different there for the home game that you were you were there? Because I know that Paul Cook had a thing that I, I really didn't like, which was he'd kind of come out at the beginning of the game and, and wave to the crowd and stuff. And that's, maybe I'm a bit old school. Manager just comes out after the players are on the pitch and slowly walks down the, the edge of the pitch and signs a few autographs and stuff. And, um, but yeah, really pleased that you, you came out and how did you feel in that kind of situation? Cause it was a, it was a huge crowd, 29,000. Brilliant. When the way the, the way the club did that game with all the fire coming out, it was a proper atmosphere. Um, 
We actually played on the front foot. We played really well that day. Um, we probably deserved the three points. Um, and like you said, okay, I didn't actually get to manage my team, but to be part of a first team environment in a, basically a full house was something I'll never forget. I see the great James Norwood shirt in the background when he scores and comes over to me to thank me was a touch of class on him because obviously me and BK, we went through a lot with him for the few months that he was um, he was down with the 23s. So when you get that kind of reaction from a player, it makes it all worthwhile. It's making me tear up a bit there, but... It, it was it was fantastic when when he ran you know the, the not yeah. the well, he ran the full length of the half of the pitch to yeah. to, to celebrate with you and um yeah he, he's he's a great player and one of those players you know we talk about Paul Cook and the demolition man but you know himself and you know Janoy whatever have kind of clung on and and you know at times come into the team well Janoy obviously played um, most of this season which I think is probably a little bit of a shock to to some people and, and James Norwood coming in at times and, and scoring valuable goals kind of want to go back. Just to the that interim bit, and the, you know the the Charlton Charlton away game, you know Barrow in the in the FA Cup, and how how did you feel when you were uh, in that environment with with the players? Um, you know, it's very difficult for a fan, you know, just to kind of think, you know, what, what's it like? Is it a bit like having a supply teacher in at school when you come in and, and just kind of wonder what that sort of that whole environment was like, really? Well, the Charlton game was horrible because of the ugly scenes with Danassian and the fans and I'm a fan and they had every right to vent that night. We were, we weren't great. And I liked Toto, but for him to then keep trying to walk to the fans when they're telling him to go do one and antagonizing him and it was horrible. And then obviously losing to Barrow, uh, nearly getting relegated from league two. Um, I don't think we could get any lower as a football club and I'm seeing this um, and, um, and it, it, it made me sick to my stomach because I'm, I'm a fan but I'm also a I'm also a players guy and I could see that players were shot from any kind of confidence and I was just thinking the sooner they get a new manager into thing because we've got the most talented squad. It's, well, on paper, as I talk about with fear, you you just mentioned JD and he weren't the fans' cup of tea, but I can remember he's not the fans' cup of tea for a couple of years and what a waste of money. And I can remember... JD playing a 23 game against Millwall last season. And I'm looking at this athlete going, bloody hell, he's definitely the best defender we've got. No one can get past JD. Seriously, no one. He's so quick, so strong. Yes, obviously he has limitations on the ball. Um, but I always thought there was a player there. And then, like you said, if you've got fans on you and... Managers not showing you belief. I talk about a fear factor and the fear creep, creep in. Then you're going to be a shell of yourselves. And what I was seeing for the players in that four games was um, they were a shell of themselves. And it's it's heartbreaking to see because I've been there. Once fear is in, in you, it's, 
it's horrible to play to the best of your ability. Um, and that's why, in a way, Kieran McKenna needs a lot of respect because um, since he's come in, um, he's transformed them. You, you mentioned a, you mentioned about fear before we go on to to Kieran McKenna's appointment, but I read or I watched somewhere that you said that um, England fans didn't see the the best of Kieran Dyer because of because of fear that you know you kind of it's kind 100%. of like you, you played at Newcastle or you know Newcastle St James's Park really passionate stadium um, and probably a lot more passionate than when and. All apologies, Kieran. I don't know who, who you played against, but, you know, some of the games at, at Wembley were probably against some really smaller nations where, you know, there was, I guess, just an expectation that we'd win by five or six goals. So just quite interesting, you know, what your mindset was, you know, with going into those games and, and how fear you felt impacted on the way that you played. You just, I just think, obviously, I was part of the golden generation. We had... The Roonies, the Gerrards, the Beckhams, the Skulls. And so that also straight away brings unlimited pressure that we have to win a major tournament. This is the team. You see what happened to David Beckham with regards to the burning of the effigy, um, how brutal the media were. Ashley Cole, who's played over 120 games, used to get pummeled every game. And you think... Bloody hell, this could happen to me if I miss a shot or play a bad back pass. So my mindset was I'm not making a mistake. So I'm passing to A to B, five yards as quick as possible. Then I'm not going to be hammered on on national. I'm not going to be happy on the national uh, papers. My family hounded abuse on me. And I just think of a lot of players, I think if you look at Raheem Sterling in his first few tournaments, he was the scapegoat. He was a shell of himself. You look at him now when he's full of confidence with Harry Kane, Garrett, with Gareth Southgate's first choice player he picks. So, like I said, it the great ones, they overcome fear. It was the great Michael Jordan documentary when he says, "What's he gonna? how can he fear missing a shot and he's never even taken the shot. What is there to fear about something you've not even tried to attempt yet? And I was like, I wish I had that kind of knowledge that I know now that when I was a player, because England would have seen a, a lot better Kieran Dyer. Because again, I, I'd say to all the kids, I had a chance of going to Man United. I've had Sir Alex Ferguson on the phone tapping me up. I've had a chance to go to Chelsea, but the biggest club I played for in a way is Newcastle. So I underachieved and a lot of that was down to fear and not fulfilling your potential. I would love to have seen you in a Roy Keane dressing room as well at Manchester United. That would have been, that'd have been fun. I'd um, have been the Marco Richards to Roy Keane. <laughs> yeah. I, I love that reinvention of, of, of Keane in the, in those adverts, uh, adverts with Richards are really good. So when Kieran McKenna came in, um, and obviously, and I'm guessing at some point, you're kind of thinking two managers have gone here. Uh, Matt Gill came in for for one one job, uh, one game when Lambert went, and obviously John McGrill's kind of come in a couple of days before and 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 taken taken that role. So Kieran McKenna's come in, and we're now on the the 21st of March. So we're not that long after that, and you know, like I said today, you you hand your your notice in with with immediate effect. 
what what changed over that period of time? What was your mindset that got you to the point, you know, whereas today and you said, actually, I've had enough. It was all again from my pro license. So, so in my pro license, again, it's talking to you about more off the training pitch situation. It talks about club culture. It talks about, um, basically it's saying that there's many ways of culture. What is a culture? You need three words that defines your culture. Culture, And one of the key things when Gareth Southgate, because we've had some great speakers, we've had Gareth Southgate, we've had Sue Baroness, we've had Damien Hughes, who does the great podcast with High Performance Podcasting. One of the big things that um, they talked about was alignment. To have a culture, everything has to be aligned. Everyone has to be, everyone has to be pulling in the right direction. And um, obviously, game changers came in, come come in, and Mark Ashton's come in, and they've got a vision for how the club should be, how the first team should be probably how the women's game should be and how the academy should be. Um, And then, like I said, since I've started doing this course on January, it's got me thinking that, and it pains me to say this because Mark Ashton has wooed our fans and rightly so. If I want the club to progress and have this culture but if I don't agree with their vision and I'm staying in the job and going through the emotions and I'm talking to the players about behaviours and you have to be doing this and then they're looking at me and they're seeing my body language is down because I actually don't 100% agree with some of the vision of the club then I'm a hypocrite I'm a fan of the club I want this club to succeed so how is this club succeeding where I'm in charge of all our assets and our 23 players but I'm not aligned with Game Changer and Mark Ashton and and Andy Rolls and everyone in the club where everyone's pulling in the same direction. I'm like, I'm not sure I want to go in that direction because that's going against what I believe morally for what I believe how the academy should be, if you know what I mean. So I was the big, and listen, I'm not saying their vision is wrong and my morals are right and that, but I'm just saying their vision is their vision. Mark Ashton and Game Changer, they've owned football clubs. They've run football clubs. I've never run a football club. I'm learning about culture. I'm learning about how you deal with boardrooms. But I'm thinking this is probably the best time to be at this football club that we seem to have unlimited budget. Where you see some of the players have got. We've got one of the most terrific young managers in the English game, and I don't say that lightly, by the way. Like I said, I think I'm a good coach. He showed me I've got to go to another level. And that's all credit to him and Martin. So, again, I'm getting kind of emotional, but I feel that I have got to be the bigger person 
and distance myself from it. And it's, it's sad to say, but I can't be a hypocrite. <laughs> I think, you know, it, it comes across, Kieran, that you're a, you're an Ipswich Town fan, first and <laughs> first and foremost. Um, and that's really important. I guess, you know, one of the questions I've, I've got with regards to the Under-23 Academy and the first team is <laughs> Mark Ashton often talks about, and game changes talk about sustainability and stuff like that. If it, if it wasn't for Luke Wolfenden, our academy appearances would be uh, down to about a, a handful in in the first team. And how how do you think that's that's going to change in the in the, in the future? Like you said, you mentioned well, Andre, you mentioned Flynn, who potentially is look, being looked at as a replacement for for Leeds and stuff like that. How, how do we get? You know, that's what we were known for in Ipswich. Always have been. You know, bringing on young players and you know getting them to play at a level, and it will come to a point when a big club will come in and they'll make an offer that we we can't refuse. Um, and we might be in a different situation now, but I don't see a lot happening. I know uh, Baggett was on the on the bench at the weekend, but you know where? How is that going to improve? We can't be sustainable when we sign twenty players and we've got a, a first team with three or four lone players in it every week. Again, we we you're talking about one of the reasons. Um, I think I give you the the main reason why I've left. But what do you deem a success for me? So we're unbeaten in eight. There's so many games that haven't even been documented. Like we've played Cat 1 teams. We've gone to Palace. We've smashed them 3-1. We played a Wickham team. So it's basically all of Wickham subs bench. Because everyone talks, everyone loves to talk about 20 football, 23s football is make-believe and bloody bloody blah, blah, blah. We've played a Wickham team. You know how Wickham play, physical in your face, long balls, dealing with it. They played all their subs. So all their subs from the weekend game. So they had six, seven subs, which made up majority of the team. And then they had, they've got a B team and they had a few players. We went and played them at their home ground. We beat them 2-0. I see the potential. So I feel people will go to 23 is the top of the league and what a season they're having. I see success as how many of them have played in the first team this season. So I feel that I've let them down in a way because, and I don't say this lightly, and because I would say if you take Sammy Morsey out of the equation, for me, Cameron Humphreys is our next best midfielder in the whole entire club. Cameron Humphreys has played 10 minutes against Charlton in the league. And Cameron Humphreys played the League Cup game against Newport. And he was the best player on the pitch, by the way. And we had Sonny Aluku playing and we had a few first-teamers playing that day. So, and again... This is just my opinion. Paul Cook obviously didn't see that because he didn't give him much chance. And Kieran McKenna. So maybe I'm the one who's wrong. But if I was manager, Cameron Humphreys would be in my team with Sammy Morsey. I take this stuff to heart because I'm meant to be getting you into the first team. And if I feel that you have potentially brilliant and you're not getting, 
I don't blame the managers. I take that on me. Tawanda. Tawanda scores goals. He assists. A couple of names I'll give you. Are you there? You're cutting yeah, yeah, it's still there. Yeah. Tawanda scores goals single game. In training the other day, for example, he was in the bib team playing the non-bibs. The game was five all. The non-bibs, I think Tyree scored for the non-bibs. Scorers. In the bib team, uh, in the other team that Tawanda was in, you know what I'm going to say. Who scored all five goals? Tawanda. He is just a goal machine. He is so self-driven. He will always... I, I don't want to... I will never take him off because he's that player. When you need a goal, he will do something. He has not played one minute of a Papa John's game this season. And again, it's not me, Paul Cooks, don't know what he's doing, Kieran McKenna, because I've just given them all praise. But in my opinion, they're brilliant. They're, okay, where Tawanda might not have the power yet, if you need a goal and he's on the bench and he comes on for 20 minutes, he's going to make something happen. So I take these things personally. It's just the way I am. I'm a, I'm a player kind of person. Um, Alcan, I can go through the list. Tommy Hughes. Like, again, and I get fans like, you've already talked about the speculation. So... And I'll just show you how speculation can kind of be taken the wrong way or stuff. So we've got young Tyrese. And by the way, Tyrese last season for the 23s, he only scored two goals. When he went for a trial to Swindon, I thought, he's not ready for Swindon. I was the first to admit that. He's not ready for Swindon. He goes to Swindon. He scores 12 goals. On absolute fire, he plays against Man City in the FA Cup. Getting all this unbelievable experience. It's been well documented. Tyrese was going to come back. Um, there was going to be a contract sorted out. Then he was going back. Um, that's what everyone read. Obviously, he's come back and he stayed. So fans are already thinking his agent's being greedy. Tyrese is this, Tyrese is that, let him rot. Da, 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 da. They don't know what damage that's doing. To, you, you're guessing. There hasn't been a statement from the club. There hasn't been a statement from Tyrese. So why are you speculating on a young kid who all he wants to do is play football? At the end of the day, if you were a parent of Tyrese Simpson or an agent of Tyrese Simpson and you're back at this football club, and you're looking at Norwood out of contract. You're looking at Caden Jackson out of contract. You're looking at Macaulay Bond, not our player. And Tyrese can't get on the bench. Would you tell him to sign a contract? Yeah, it's, it, it, it's wrong. No, it's not about greedy. It's about players just want to see a pathway. Tyrese is training with the first team every time, every day now. Um It'll get better. Hopefully, we'll get a chance because I'm sure when he gets a chance or whatever, he'll sign a contract. But stop trying to read that he's a bad lad or his agent's this and his agent's that because speculation, especially, sorry, I have a speculation about me because 
I've been there, I've done that, I've got the T-shirt. But when you're talking about 19-year-old kids, just let them breathe. Anything negative is going to affect them. And I just don't like stuff like that. I take that kind of stuff personally. Like, another big thing for me is the amount of work that me and Brian did with Flynn Downs. So Flynn Downs was in the bomb squad. And by the way, I totally agree why he was with the bomb squad, because I was in the meeting when he said to Paul Cook he would like to move on. But he's always been an emotional... I've talked about me as an emotional kid. He's always been emotional. You see how many times he gets sent off. <laughs> he's just that type of character. Me and BK were so good for Flynn. We listened. We understood him. That we actually got him and Paul Cook to go and meet and come to a truce that actually he could come and stay. And one of the big things I think is that I should have gone in the room in the meeting or BK should have gone in the room with the meeting because they were two alphas going at it and it didn't go to, to plan. And then Flynn goes on. I look at if I could have persuaded Flynn to stay, we would have had a midfielder Sam Morsey and Flynn Downs. We'd be top of the league. <laughs> I'm telling you now, Flynn Downs is at Flynn Downs is at Swansea. He'll be in the Premier League next year. He'll go for ten million pounds. We played Swansea the other day in a friendly, and they were going the amount of Premier League interest in Flynn Downs. And again, it pains me because I could have made a difference. And I let that slip. We put all this work in. We could you imagine the bomb squad that we had to had to try and keep going? And to be fair, they showed us the respect, but we had Flynn, Teddy, Miles, Caden. It was tough. But we showed them a level of respect. And I think that transformed by they showing our players the level that they had to get to. So in a way. The way they interacted with the 23s, the way Norse came back, Norse would, he would deliberately pick on a centre half and start to pin him and rough him up and you can't get tight to me. You might, you might be able to get tight to an 18-year-old boy, but when I can just hold you with one hand, he... so like the pros have been brilliant in that aspect, but that that killed me. That that does that does pain me that we've only had Bailey and Xander and Cameron really play any kind of first team football. Uh, obviously, yeah, I think that's one thing. Dobra made one one appearance early in the yeah. season, and I think you know Idris has made a, a couple, but it, it's yeah. But I mean, out. they were part of the first team squad. Him and Wolfie, I don't class them as the boys I was working with. I'm just talking yeah. about the ones I've worked with closely this season. Um, and again, I'm telling you now, if I was caretaker manager. My 23s would have played against Barrow, 100%. They would have all played. But it would have been less embarrassing, I think, if, if, that, had, <laughs> if that had happened. Um, there's a couple of things. Um, I can't let this bit go. You, you, you mentioned about James Norwood. Um, I'm a big fan, fan of his. Um, I think he, he's the kind of player I, I like. I like watching him and he, and he scores goals. I'm not really going to comment about. Him and he, he's kind of running the, the the front three that Kieran McKenna's got. Because I appreciate that he's in a situation where he's trying to find the you know the the best formation. But what happened? You know, James Norwood was not being picked under Paul Cook at all. 
and then you know uh, uh, yourself and, and John McGreal come in, uh, Wigan away. Um, Norse is there. He's on the bench. He come comes off the bench. He, he you know he scores as well in in a great football shirt as well. I'm hasten to add. But what what happened? Was it was he allowed to be picked? Why why was he why was he not involved and then suddenly straight in when Paul Cook had gone? Yeah, that's the big if. Um, the big what 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 happened there? Sorry, not the big if. All I know is that when John was caretaker manager, and we were talking and I. We're talking about the team for Charlton. I was saying like James Norwood's been fantastic for the 23s. Um, I think John went and checked with the club and they said, if you want to pick Norwood, then you can be picked. Uh, That led to whose decision was it? Was Marcus picking the team and, and sorry, was Mark picking the team and telling Paul Cook that he couldn't? Was Paul Cook, was it Paul Cook's decision? Only them two people know the answer. I don't. I don't know the answer. Um, like I just said, I'd seen how he'd work with the twenty threes. We trained with such an intensity uh, with the twenty threes that I knew that if we called upon him in the first team, it'd be good to go. And like I said, he's he started off like a house on fire. Four goals. It's fizzled out a bit, but like I said, hopefully them four goals and the points he can help get on the board, like I said, helps us get to the playoffs because I know you're a man who believes. Um, there, there, are, there are all the legends up there. Um, I need to... Three legends. Three legends. Who are the three legends I'm talking about? I, I, I know you're making a point about John Elway, I reckon. <laughs> John Elway, get him <laughs> off that shirt. Get Tom Brady on there, mate. Oh. And take that stupid hat off. That'll be coming. I remember the first time um, I, when I was walking my dogs and stopped down and I thought, hang on, there's Kieran and saying, you were like, get that bloody hat off. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think, you know, on the, on the wall of, on the wall of legends, I'm a, I'm a big fan of his. Now, I guess, it, you know, come up to, to the modern, you know, to today when you, you've handed your notice in and, and, and what I'm kind of hearing from you here is that, and I, I like the fact that you kind of reflected and you reflect on some some of the decisions that you've made or some things that you could have done differently, you know, about like the support, like you said, for, for Flynn and stuff. But it's it, it, it seems to me that there, there was there was a there was a glass ceiling for you at, at the club, you know, as, as the under 23 manager and certainly for a lot of our players. And, you know, you're working hard on the on the training pitch with all of these players and there there's not a a great route for them into the into the first team. So, was what 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 was what was the the, the straw that broke the camel's back when you thought right okay because it, it appears you know going through this you know the the conversation that we've had that you know since October 2020 a lot has happened and a lot for you to reflect on and I, I, I'm I'm guessing that it, it's not a decision that you made overnight really. No, honestly, it was literally the the. It was when I had my first module with my pro license. It was probably in January and they were talking about decision-making and real leadership and culture. And I've never even thought of these things. I was always always about what I do on the the pitch as a coach. 
Um, and the one, the big one was the, the presentation of Gareth and he was talking about how he picks his staff and how he empowers his staff and the culture, culture that he tries to thing. And it just got me thinking that I'm a hypocrite. Um, and then, like I said, this was in January and then we had our next module uh, a couple of weeks ago. And again, some of the the key points I was taking again, it just gave me real clarity that, you know what, for the greater good of this club, I have to sacrifice myself because they call it, they call it kind of wars and wars and it's not skirmishes, uh, wars and scuffles. So they're saying a scuffle is something that you can kind of like turn a blind eye to and just it, it rolls you and you go in the room and you scream. But a war is like, and they said a war is something that doesn't sit with you morally. And like I said, the club's vision is fantastic. I'm not going to say it isn't because it is. I think fans are really excited. I think you're excited. If I was... I'm excited because I feel that it's just a matter of might not be this season, but next season we will be in the championship. I feel with the money that these game changers could have, we could be in the Premier League club with him four or five years. And again, I don't say that lightly. So I just had to be the bigger person um, because if we're trying to get this culture at the football club, you need everybody pulling in the right direction. And so what did you what do you obviously you disagree with some of the vision and you make the point that actually your your opinion is, isn't right and, and, and the clubs isn't wrong, but what what fundamentally do you not agree with with the way that the club is going just forward? The academy. Just with yeah. regard to the academy. Again, like I said, I don't want to go into massive detail because I just wanted, like I said, this is about putting all these rooms to bed. Forget about Kieran. I'm in a good place with my health and my headspace. Yes, I'm glad to be leaving the club, but I'm doing it for the, the greater good for myself and for the club. All they should be focusing on after this, give you a few likes, a few <laughs> more subscriptions, and then let's just get behind Kieran McKenna. Let's beat Plymouth. Massive game. And who knows? Bloody hell. If we go and make, if we make the playoffs, then we'll be favourites to go up. Um, 100 certainly will, certainly will yeah. now. This is all about putting the rumours to bed. But listen, let's not go on and on and on. And why have I done this and why have I done it? I've done it for I don't believe with certain visions of the club. That's not to say the club's vision's wrong, it just didn't morally sit with me. And that was it. So, the next chapter. Um, I've looked on on Twitter. Apparently, you're you're already going to be the the next Colchester United manager. Um, that's one of the things that I've kind of had a look at. So, what, what plans do you have for next? You talked about you know you're doing your, your pro license and stuff like that. Um, what does the future hold for Kieran Dyer? Well, the future is there's no jobs I can apply for at the moment because I could go to go and have an interview and then my phone rings and they say you've got to be in Adderbrooks in two hours, so <laughs> I'd have to leave the job interview. So. Literally now is keep them fit, 
uh, and ready for my operation. Let's get that out of the way. Let's make a full recovery. And then, um, and then, like you said, all I can do is um, put my name out there. Um, that's another thing. What? Oh, well, we'll get to it in a bit. But yeah, just put my name out there and actually hope that I get an interview. Um, because, like I said, one of the big things I my mates tell me, are, oh, you're getting hammered because you expect to be just an Ipswich Town manager. No, I'm willing to go to the national leagues. So just don't get. You just don't get any response, um, which would what do you probably... think that? What do you think that is? Well, it's, it's been proven. It's it is a massive issue with diversity in our game, um, and it's scary to think that me and Titus did an article. We did an article ages ago when I think the Rooney rule was just trying to come into our country and they interviewed me and Titus there was a reporter called Luke Edwards who we knew from our time in Newcastle and he was saying what do you think of um, the Rooney rule and I said I don't want to get a job because of the colour of my skin I want to, to earn the job and the amount of black players, ex-black players who text me and Titus and rung me and Titus. I think Darren Lewis, who was a black reporter at the time, he wrote a scathing report about us in the paper and they were going, you're going to learn the hard way. And I was like, what are you talking about? And like you said, the only three jobs I've got in football are the under 18 job at Ipswich, the under-23 job at Ipswich and going to work and shadow Craig Bellamy. I didn't have an interview process for them jobs. I was given the job because Leo, Neil and Brian knew me and knew that what I was capable of. And they gave me the job for the 18s and 23s. And I'm close to Craig Bellamy. Every other job that I've applied for or even just requested an interview, I've been declined. Um, the numbers back it up. Um, the, the numbers do back it up. I, I, I had a look, well, I, I read a while ago, and uh, in the history of the Premier League, nearly 30 years of the Premier League, there's only been 10 black managers in that in that time. Uh, two of them, uh, I believe, were caretakers. So you've got Patrick Vieira at the moment. Rude Hullet kind of stands out. But there's there, there aren't many black English managers that have made the Premier League. And I think that there's only seven out of the... 92 clubs that we've got professional clubs in the football league at the moment there's only seven black managers so uh, what do you think needs to change for you know for, for that to happen because we, we watch a game of football and you know the the percentage of black players on the, on the pitch is is certainly higher than a lot you know the what we're looking at from a management point of level point of view again um there's ways around the rooney rule i think they tried to bring the Rooney rule into place in this country, but there's ways around the clubs can get around it without actually interviewing uh, a black person or person um, who's a minority. Um, I don't know the answers. Like I said, it, again, for me, it's not about me being a black man or white man. It's who's best for the job. But if we're never getting the interviews, then 
how do you know who's the best? Um, you see a, you see Sky Sports. They've made a real change. There's a lot, Clinton Morrison, Michael Richards. They always, I've got so many job opportunities from Sky now. They always want a, a black man on the panel. Um, so they seem to be doing things the right way. You look at the FA, fair play to the FA. Gareth, he's got two, two black coaches and part of his staff. He's got Chris Powell. He's got the, the coach. Sorry, I forgot his name at West Ham. It's part of his first team staff. You look at the under 21, under 21s. Ashley Cole was doing the under 21s. Um, Michael Johnson, who used to play for Birmingham. So they seem to be doing things the right way. Um, it's just, again, it's just got to, it's got to be a change in football clubs. Um, uh, I have not got the answer. It pains me because, like you said, I probably could have had a job for life at Ipswich with regards to just doing the under 23s and waiting to be caretaker manager one time when a manager fouls and hopefully get four games, win them four games and then I have a chance. But uh, like I said, I thought my pathway through the first team was blocked when they, they made the John McGrill uh, caretaker manager um, again because I have no experience. He's got experience. Um, how I'm going to get experience. The only way I feel that I'm going to get experience and I feel like I've been defeated, but if Jonathan Woodgate gets a job or if Craig Bellamy gets a job or if obviously you see Frank Lampard gets a job, he takes in Ashley Cole. At the moment, that's the only way I see me getting back into football and it, it is horrible to say that. Um, so, Colchester would be a lovely little project to start and your journey on. But again, one, I can't do anything until my health. And two, um, they always used to, they always seem to uh, promote within. At least they've been bold and they had Hayden Mullins, who was a black man and, and Alex Dyer. So they're, they're, they've beat the trend in some way. So they're willing to give back people a chance. Um, but again, it's again, it's not about black or white, it's about who's the best person for the job. Kind of sounds to me that potentially you've kind of not given up because you don't come across as somebody who gives up, but you know, you, you kind of recognize that the situation is as it is at the moment that you know, he the health situation to one side is that realistically, the only way that you're going to be in the, in the dugout is if you know, former teammates are, are there and bring you in as an assistant. Does that make you think that actually you'd look at other aspects of the game or, or, or something away from, from the game? And so not focusing on, on, on trying to, you know, because you, you're getting your, your licences and stuff like that and going to be fully, fully qualified. But if you're not getting the interviews and at some point, most people are just going to go, I'm, I'm going to look for something else. Yeah, I've done the media. It doesn't, it doesn't appeal to me. It doesn't give me the buzz of actually putting my boots on and improving people. And um, I don't think I'll ever replicate that buzz with anything else I tried to do. So I do want to be a coach. There is, a, like you said, there is maybe I go to media one and hopefully Craig Bellamy becomes Norwich manager. And then I am in a real pickle because I'd have to turn that down as well because I am never, ever being a Norwich manager, if you know what I mean. So it's just a vicious circle. 
trust me, I will, I'm willing to start at the lowest and work my way up. But um, yeah, my passion is coaching. People will say you're daft for leaving Ipswich um, if you love coaching. But again, I just want the club to be um, succeed. And if I'm not totally on board with their beliefs, then the club is bigger than Kieran Dyer. And that's, that's all I have to say on that, really. Yeah. No, I, I was just going to finish it off with uh, looking at some of the messages that were on um, were on Twitter that, that the club have played, and there's a few of you, a few of your players mentioned. So you got one from Cameron Humphreys, all the best, top coach and, and good guy. Uh, Tom Hughes, uh, the best. Idris El Mazzuni, one of the best. Um, Tawanda, one of the most honest and best coaches I've had in my career so far. Although he's he's really young though, You'd, it'd be a bit better if he was like forty year old when he said that. But I get his. Well, point. He has been at the club. He has been at the club since he was nine, so he's gone through a few coaches. Well, that's that's true, <laughs> and he wishes you all the best in your coaching and hope to be under you, uh, but play under you in a when you're in a first team management bit. So really nice. Uh, uh, Nathan Griffiths, one of the best coaches I've ever worked with. It's a privilege. Gave me a lot of responsibility and trust, and will be sadly missed by by all. So lots of. Lots of nice comments to hear about your, your time with the club. Um, I'd like to thank you for, for coming on here. Re really appreciate it. There's a couple of other things I kind of want to mm -hmm. uh, ask. One is I've, I've kind of got your book here, which is really good. Um, is there going to be an Ipswich Town chapter in it? Is it going to be is it going to be updated? I know that at some point some people criticised you about that there wasn't a lot about your time with, with Ipswich. But to be fair, you're only here 117 117. 17 games and you think about that that was probably about two and a half seasons but you know just kind of interested about your thoughts around the book and whether we we should look for an update at some point yeah that was one of the big gripes probably from my book for Ipswich fans is I don't really go into too much detail with Ipswich I do go into a lot of detail at Ipswich just publishers they have books to sell copies to sell they want the dramatic stuff they want the scandals obviously I probably played the longest at Newcastle. I had people like Shearer and that and Bobby Robson there. So they were more interested in them kind of stories. And one of the, the things like, obviously, the narrative changed. But one thing we talked about is going into real depth about my Ipswich career and players and time and managers. Um, so, yeah, we'll, we'll definitely do that. Instead of me putting an extra chapter to my book, you'll have a a real exclusive of um, uh, my Ipswich career. I'd be happy to do it. Uh, there's a lot of what ifs, people wondering a lot of things. So um, I think it'll be good. But again, today was just about squashing the rumours. Let's try and get this club promoted this season. We're all fans. We've got a terrific manager. Martin is a terrific assistant. And hopefully... It's in the radius that I can actually get to Wembley. That'll kill me if we get to Wembley and I'm too far away from Madderick's Hospital that I can't make it. I'll be like, oh my God, can you believe it? Be absolutely traumatised. Certainly something great to, to, to look forward to. I think we've probably got to win six of the six of the last seven. It's not impossible when they're, they're 21 points on the board, but yeah, no, I, I appreciate that. Thanks you, thank you ever so much for, for coming on. Before you go, one thing I just want to kind of get on to camera just to record it at some point just to remind you but um obviously know that you you like your nfl as well 
I'm not quite sure which team you you support this week. I know that you know you're one day. You. you that silly hat you've got on. Oh my goodness! You know who this is? The Buccaneers. <laughs> He's back. I, I know that some of my mates who are who are who are Tampa fans are going to be uh, going mad with that. Um, the greatest ever American football player. I don't want to hear about Manning this and Manning that. Seven rings. You, you're not going to get me on on, on camera saying anything about uh, <laughs> about Tom Brady. Over, that's a great top over over, over Peyton Manning. Um, he, he's decided to come back. So, what are the, the Bucks? Is it is it going to be their year next year? Is he going to write another chapter? Of course. Uh, yeah. Apparently, trying to recruit Jones, isn't he? So that would be a nice receiver to have. So uh, obviously, that, Godwin will be fit. Yeah, no, I certainly look forward one to my, that. One of my bucket list things. Obviously, I couldn't attend this year because of obviously I had my job and uh, my liver. But I've got to go to a Super Bowl. So, yeah. who knows? Me well, and hope, Tom Brady at the Super Bowl. I, I hope you get there in 2023, the, the Broncos year with, with, with Russell Wilson. I'll tell you what, there's a couple of things. Obviously, mm. we, we, we started having a chat about, you know, doing this, uh, uh, an interview about your career and still like to do that. Obviously, that's been postponed a little bit, but I'm not going to put all that research and, and throw it in the bin. So, I will, I will speak to you again about another point. And, um, we can perhaps have a bit more of a discussion about NFL going going forward. Um, but yeah, sure. thank you ever so much for your time, Kieran. No problem. I, appreciate I really it. appreciate that. Thank you. Take care. Cheers.